Hello and welcome to another episode of the Diet Obsessed Podcast. I am your host, Veronica Santorelli, and this is a podcast for those of us who are just obsessed with all things diet culture, and we'd like to discuss the details and mention it all. All right, let's get into the episode. So today I'm going to be doing a podcast review of a new podcast that I've never reviewed called Foodie Pharmacology. And, uh, but first I'm going to get into my regular segments. So first, this is another episode of Craving More. So thank you so much to all of my subscribers. I appreciate all of you. Uh, the only extra thing you can do is, uh, leave a rating and review for this, uh, episode. Uh, it means so, so, so much to us podcasters. Uh, but I do appreciate all of you subscribing to this premium content. So let's start with my mental health check-in. So I'm coming off of a weekend, uh, having spent the whole weekend in Sedona, Arizona, which if you've never been to Sedona, it is so stunningly beautiful. It is, uh, it's hard to describe. It's just these, you know, if, if you can think of the Grand Canyon with like the red rocks, these are even more dramatic and, and they're, they're, you know, all these really interesting rock formations and it's supposed to be a very spiritual area as well. There's supposed to be these vortexes. And so you get a lot of shamans and stuff up there. And this was a weekend. It was a bachelorette weekend for my one of my best friends, Michelle. And I was a little bit nervous going into it. I, I kind of was, you know, kind of building my mind up to what, was, what the weekend was going to be like. Because it was going to be a house full of girls. We were all sharing an Airbnb. And except there's one, one guy who's gay and, uh, and I knew, I knew, I knew a lot of the people, like I knew I'd met most of the people before, uh, but I, you know, it's been a while since I've seen a lot of them and, and I wasn't sure if there were going to be a lot of people I didn't know. And, and I knew I would probably have to share a room, which I was very nervous about because, you know, I'm very particular about my sleep and I need complete darkness. And I just, I get all in my head about, you know, if I'm waking another person up or if I'm turning around too much and, you know, rustling the covers too much and just all of that stuff, I just get in my head. So, and also I'm someone who really needs alone time. Like I just, you know, I'm someone who, when I go out, I'm good with like three to four hours of socializing. And then I need to like go sit in a room alone <laughs> and, and recover. So I was, I'm like, this is going to be all day Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then coming back on Monday. So I was like, how is this going to be? And it ended up being so amazing. Like it was just such good energy. I did remember pretty much everyone. There were just two girls. I'm like, have we met before? And they're like, yeah. I was like, oh, sorry. But, you know, I'd only met them a couple times. And, you know, so give myself a little bit of grace on that. But uh, I particularly bonded with this girl, Jessica, that I hadn't seen. And I've hung out with her quite a few times. She's also a nurse. She's just such a great girl. She's so sweet. She's so funny. And she's actually the person that I shared the room with. And and actually, we shared a bed. So I was like, as I, we really had to be like in each other's space. But it was a king bed. And and again, it was like reconnecting with an old friend. And, and Jessica's just like, she's one of those girls that I find it very easy to talk to. And again, I don't find it easy to talk to everyone. So 
I was greatly relieved that, you know, it was just, a, it was good vibes, you know, and food wise, I had prepared because, you know, I wanted to have a balanced weekend. I knew that we were going to be doing a lot of hiking, but I also knew I needed some like tasty treats and some junk food around because I knew that Michelle who was going was going to be super healthy. And so like, I, I just knew I needed to have some of that stuff around so that I like was my mental health was good and I didn't feel like I was like missing out on things or deprived from anything. So, so I prepared well. I really enjoyed reconnecting with everybody. So my mental health over the weekend was great. Then I came back on Monday and I did drink quite a bit. I mean, I drank Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So, um, so Monday I was, you know, I was just, I don't know. I think I do get anxiety after drinking so much. And so I, you know, I drove back Monday and I, I was in a good mood, you know, because I had had such a great weekend, but, and I didn't think that I had anything really going on that day as far as like big on the agenda. I mean, I knew I had to work starting at noon, but I had totally forgotten about this meeting that I had at 10 and I don't know why I didn't look at my calendar. I just, I was like, oh, I don't think I have anything going on today. And I didn't look at my calendar, which is so stupid. It's such an, such an amateur move. And I never, I never do that because I live by my calendar. And if I had looked at my calendar, I would have seen that I had a 10 a.m. important call with this potential partner in Boston for our cannabis business. And I, I realized it like five minutes late after the call had started and I was like scrambling to get on and I literally saw this guy hang up as I was joining and then he just, he's not answering my emails anymore. So that depressed me (laughs) and that like, I just, I am trying to get over this perfectionism and I'm like, okay, Veronica, just, it is what it is. You messed up. I, I sent him an apology email and I just said, I'm so sorry. I was late. I joined 10 minutes late. My apologies you know, can we reschedule? And he hasn't gotten back to me. So I beat myself up a little bit, but then I was like, you know what, Veronica, it's okay. Like you're going to be able to make up for that. You'll find a new different partner. It's, it's really just for this like charity and giving back that we have to do. And regardless, I know this guy's going to take my donation. So like I can just donate to him. That's not a big deal. So I just kind of talked myself down from the ledge of perfectionism and and beating myself up for missing that meeting. I'm like, it's not unrecoverable. So, and then I just had to kind of get through the day. You know, I had to get through my, my, my screening job, my sales job. And, you know, I was just exhausted by the end of the day. I was, I was over it. And I, I had planned on uh, taking the next day off. Um, I was, I actually called out sick to that job. I, I've been building up sick days and I really just kind of needed a mental health day. So I planned on taking that day off because I was going to be doing some anti-aging things that day, which also did not go well. So let's uh, end the mental health segment. I do hope that all of you are having a good mental health week. Mine's been a little bit up and then a little bit down. I'm back on an upward trend. Uh, Tomorrow's my birthday and I'm having a really fun birthday weekend, which I'm very excited about, which I'll tell you in just a second. But anyway, that was my mental health check-in for this week. Okay, now for my anti-aging antics segment. 
So I had bought this, but it was a buy one, get one free Juvederm gift card that you could buy a couple weeks ago. I think it was like on the 16th of August. So I bought one. You could only buy one. So I had like, it was like buy one, $75, you get one free. So I have like $150 in this Juvederm gift card. And I just gotten my cheeks done. You know, I went to get my tear troughs done, as I told you guys before. And she was like, no, you really need cheeks. So I'm like, okay, we'll get my cheeks done. But I still feel like I have these deep under eye circles. But I also knew that the girl that I was going to probably wouldn't want to do my tear troughs. And so I was like, well, maybe I'll get my lips like plumped up again. Because my lip, not that I like need filler in my lips, because I, they still look pretty good. They still look like I have filler in them. But, um, but they're not as like, like crisp, if, if any of you have ever gotten your lips done. Uh, no, I used to have no upper lip. Okay. None. And so my lips, having injected my lips was like one of the best things I ever did. I never thought I would dare to do it. But after I did it, I was like, oh, I love this. Cause I had just been one of those girls that was so jealous of full lips my whole life. I had these little thin lips and I was always looking at models in the magazines that had these full gorgeous lips. And I'm like, oh, I want those lips. And so after I finally dared to, to do my lips back in the day, I was psyched. I was like, this is, I'm so glad I did this, blah, blah, blah. So I went to maybe have a touch up and, you know, when I have these other like little lines here and there, I was like, okay, she probably won't put a full syringe in my lips, but you know, there's some other areas hopefully she'll touch up. So, and I, and I knew I, like I took the day off, not just for that appointment, but you know, I, I wanted a mental health day anyway. I've been getting a little burnt out, you know, doing all these jobs. And I was like, I'll take a day off anyway. So, but I was like, there was purpose there. Cause I was like, well, I can't, you know, anyway, I, I wanted to take the day off to go get this, this little anti-aging, you know, filler stuff. And so I go and the woman's basically like, she's looking at my lips. <laughs> she's like, okay, well, what do you see when you look at, you know, when she put a mirror in front of me, she's like, well, what do you see here? Like for what you need for your lips. And I was like, well, and I'm like, she's asking me a trick question here. I'm like, what does she want from me? And I'm like, well, I know that they're not like completely depleted of filler. I said, I know I, there's still some left. I said, but I was thinking, you know, that there's, you know, some lines in the middle and maybe, you know, they're not as full. Maybe you could plant them up. And, um, and I'm like, you know, and then the, the edges aren't as sharp. And so she says, okay, so who did your lips before? And it was this girl, Brandy, who had left their company and had started this other business. And she's like, you know, no offense against Brandy, but when she did your lips last time, she used this, this uh, technique where you go above and then she started explaining this whole like tube thing we have around our lips and how when you do the technique that Brandy did, it actually like puts holes through this tube in your lip and, and the filler can move. And so basically what she's telling me is she's like, see this? And she's like pointing out this side outside of my lip. She's like, your, your, your filler has basically migrated outside of your lips. And I'm like, she's like, do you see that? And I'm like, yeah, I guess now that you pointed out, thank you. <laughs> and, and it's, it's not something that's ever really bothered me. Like I still get compliments on my lips and I've always, I, I still think my lips look just fine, but I, I did notice and 
I, I, I do notice what she's saying, of course, because she pointed it out to me. So, of course, I see it. So she's like, and see this. And she's like, you still have filler in here. See how hard that is. And as I'm just slowly feeling worse and worse and worse about myself here. <laughs> and, and I mean, so, and I always knew that like filler for whatever reason lasts a long time on me. Whereas Botox is like there and gone in a, in a heartbeat. So I knew that I, and I was glad about the fact that my filler didn't just like go away. But I had I had heard that filler can can migrate. I didn't think that it had happened to me because I've been so conservative with the amount of filler I've gotten. But I also think that you know potentially it's that technique. I think also just because I had such a thin area that we were trying to like inject. You know, my I have no I basically had no upper lip, so that might have been part of it. I don't know, but so the point is, is I literally left there that day. Um, with nothing, you know, I just, she's like, well, you know, but she, what she wanted to do was she wanted to remove the filler. She wanted to take, like dissolve all the filler in my lips and basically have me take two weeks off and then come back and fix it. I'm like, um, I'm like, so you're basically telling me I need to walk around with no upper lip for the next two weeks. And like, I came here to look better. You're telling me you're going to make me look worse for the next two weeks. And then I have to come back and fix it and get more needles in my lips, which I don't want in the first place, but I'm doing it. Oh, it was so disappointing. And cause I, you know, Caroline Stanbury from the Real Housewives of Dubai and Real Housewives of London. I mean, she goes to the best of the best people and somebody had filled her breasts and then that had migrated all over her chest and she had to get, she had major like removal work done there. So I, I knew, I knew even people that go to the best of the best doctors and, and estheticians can have something like this happen. So, I mean, again, it's not dramatic. I kind of was like, okay, let me, let me think about what I want to do here because I'm, I was just disappointed. You know, I'm like, you go and you're like expecting to get something done and come out looking better. And she's basically like, no, actually your lips messed up and uh, we can't really help you unless you decide to dissolve all that. I'm like, I'm going to Europe in two weeks. I'm in sales. I'm like, I don't want to walk around looking worse for two weeks. So I don't know what I'm going to do. I think I'm just going to, I don't know. I think my lips look fine. I really do. I'm, I'm, I'm not at the point where I'm like, I need to get this dissolved and fixed. I just, I'm not there. You know, maybe when, you know, in the future, when I can afford Dr. Kasabian, I'll just go in for a major overhaul and do it all at that point. I'm just, right now, I'm like, no, I'm not going to do it. So, so that was my attempt at anti-aging antics that backfired. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to go in for Botox and use that gift card for Botox. And, you know, Botox is always works. So, I mean, hopefully this time I don't get it botched like I did last time and have my mouth looking weird. Ah, the cost of beauty. Anyway, hopefully you've enjoyed my anti-aging antics and debacles. Uh, hopefully all of you are having better work done than I am. I'll do a real quick diet culture media moment. So I was watching, I was looking at Instagram this morning and uh, Kim Shapira, who I've interviewed on this podcast before, she's a registered dietitian. She had reposted a post from Andy Cohen, who was talking to his, his young son in the back who had 
gone and and eaten seven Reese's Pieces cups from, or I'm sorry, Reese's cups, Reese's peanut butter cups from the freezer for breakfast. And he wasn't, he was sick. He was like, had a stomach ache, you know, and Andy's like, well, Ben, do you think that that was the smartest thing to do was to eat so many peanut butter cups for breakfast? And he's like, no, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> and it was just so cute because he's like, you know, teaching his son about, you know, allowing him to make the choices he wants, but teaching him that, well, if you do that, it's probably going to make you not feel well and make you sick. And, you know, maybe you should choose something that doesn't make you so sick. So that was really cute. And, and Kim was posting it, kind of just highlighting, you know, choices and teaching and, you know, a, a really cute and positive moment. Uh, so I just wanted to do that little snippet in my diet culture media moment. All right, let's get into my healthy habits segment. So the healthy habits I'm going to point out for this week were definitely all of the activity I got in, all this exercise I got in. So over the weekend in Sedona, I worked my little booty off because we did so much hiking. And I wanted to tell the story because I thought we were going to die the first hike. So I like, as I've said before, I like shorter distances. This body was not meant for long distances, okay? So especially in the summer and especially in the desert. So we go, now we we had planned on doing the Devil's Bridge hike on, uh, let's see, we got there Friday. So Saturday morning was the first hike. And we got up early. We wanted to leave the house by like 7, 7.30 and we ended up leaving a little bit later because this girl was like trying to bring her dog and it was anyway we had to wait for her and we finally get there and we we ended up having to park down the street anyway so we start on this hike and i don't i didn't know how long it was going to be i i was thinking maybe 3 to 4 miles i was thinking maybe we'll be hiking 2 hours like an hour there an hour back oh mg it ended up being i mean by the time we got to the, like, we had been hiking, like, over an hour by the time we got to the place where it started going vertical. And I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, I, I mean, I was, like, ready to turn back by the time it started going vertical. And I'm like, oh, my God, we got to climb now? So we climbed, and and I was just, like, I was so exhausted. It was getting so hot. You know, it was it was probably in the 80s at that point. And so, and I brought a big water, like I bring a big, it's got to be more than 32. I think it's 48 ounces. So, and I, and it's one of those metal ones. So it keeps things cold. I still had ice by the end of it. And so we get up to the top, we take all these pictures and, and then we start heading back down finally. And, and I'm just over it. I'm like dreading this return because it was like, probably two, over two hours there. And I didn't realize the hike overall was over seven miles. So we're hiking down, we're hiking down and we kind of, we kind of split up into two groups. There was the faster group, which it was myself, my friend, Michelle, uh, this girl, Whitney, Whitney was the only person who was kind of like, I don't know. She, she was the only person that wasn't really trying to fit into the group. I mean, she, she didn't know everyone as much and she she was a, she was a nurse and she worked with Michelle that's how she you know 
came on the, on the trip and everybody was trying to engage with her, but she just, she would just, you know, go into her rooms, into her room and, and kind of, she just, I don't know. She, she, we, we figured, we all talked about it throughout the weekend and, and cause we were, we all kept engaging her in conversation and trying to make her feel comfortable. And I don't know, she, I, I guess maybe she, I think she had both a, some personal stuff going on in her life as well as I think she's probably just a really strong introvert and shy, which is fine. I mean, anyway, I didn't realize she didn't bring a water. Like this girl did not bring a bottle of water on the, on a seven mile hike in the desert in the summer sun. Uh, that's not smart. And she's a nurse. I'm like, hello, you hear about all these statistics of people dying because they didn't have enough water and they, so, and I didn't realize it. I, and I had a backpack on, like I would have been more than happy to carry her water for her. And I did that for my friend Jessica the next day. I'm like, you want me to carry your water? Like, I don't mind. It's on my backpack. So I was like, by the time we were getting back, we started walking back and we ended up getting separated from the other group. And we were just kind of following Whitney because Whitney was like way in the front. I think probably because she was so damn thirsty. And and literally we started getting lost. And Whitney's like, no, I think if we climb up to this big plateau, we can see. And we're like, no, I'm like, we're, guys, we're climbing up again. I'm like, we need to go. We need to backtrack because we knew, we had recognized this one area. And I'm like, you guys, we cannot get lost right now. I'm like... And we were, we, we, we had gone off the beaten path. We were away from people. We had no idea where we were. We kept turning back and, and losing the path and then finding it again. And it wasn't a long time, but at this point I was over it. I was so exhausted. I was almost out of water. I was, I just, I, did, I wanted to literally do like what my dog did. I just wanted to lay down flat on the ground and not move. And, and I couldn't, I just, you just have to keep going and moving and, I started having all these like flashes of all these people that had died in the desert and oh my god are we going to be one of these statistics and anyway we finally found our way back to the path that we had and we figured out what we had done wrong and then and then we got back on the regular path we started seeing people again we we're like oh my god thank god and it was still like another like over a mile back and I was like swearing at him, like, where the fuck is this parking lot? I'm like, I was so, I was hangry. I was hot. I was sweating. I was, I was so heat exhausted. I had blisters. I was like, get me the hell out of this friggin' path. I'm like, I need to go sit in the pool and just veg. And so we finally did find our way back. And there was, you know, some nice people with waters at the end. And, we made it out and I was just like, guys, I'm like, I didn't think I was going to make it. I'm I'm like, Whitney is probably puking with heat exhaustion or heat stroke. She probably needs to go to the hospital. And that's my harrowing story of how we almost died. The good news is we didn't die and we got a great workout. <laughs> so, um, so we ended up going to a restaurant after that and we ended up getting pizza and I, I was like, I need a cocktail. <laughs> like I need a cocktail. And so anyway, so the, the, I, I just went and rested after that. Some of the group went shopping. I'm like, I need to go sit by myself for a little while and just be alone. And thank God I did. I, that, that little bit of alone time back at the house, just, just sitting in the air conditioning on my bed with nobody around me, you know, Jessica had gone with the other group shopping. I, I just, I came back to myself. I'm like, okay. And 
And if any of you have ever hiked a lot and, and up a steep, you know, inclines and cliffs, my calf muscles, like I was hobbling around. I could barely walk after that. So, and so the next day I'm like, I, I, I didn't think I was going to go on the hike the next day, but I decided to, I had wanting to see this cathedral monument rock or whatever. It's supposed to be a vortex up there. And the next day's hike was much, much better it was it was shorter it was only like a mile and a half and it was basically like rock climbing the whole time you're you're basically going up 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 a steep incline the whole time and that was awesome it was it was beautiful it was gorgeous it was challenging um but it wasn't too long we stopped uh, you know for some shade a, a couple times took some lots of pictures did some yoga poses so i have all those on my instagram if you want to go check it out at the Diet Obsessed podcast. But um, but yeah, so so getting all that activity in, I would start each morning with just a protein shake that I had brought because I, I wanted to keep it really low maintenance. So I just brought some pre-mixed chocolate protein shakes and I just had one of those each morning. And then, um, you know, and then we'd have, you know, a, a lunch and then we would have dinner. And I, I really didn't do much snacking in between. Did drink some some alcohols. I brought some Trulies with me. So we did do some drinking and and then each night we would have a big dinner. You know, the, the people that I was with are, you know, they'll order all the different types of salads. And so we got all these different types of like beet salads and watermelon salads and pear salads. And I don't normally order things like that that have fruit in them. So it's kind of nice to be with uh, a new group that wanted those things because, you know, we shared and, and I got to taste a little bite of, you know, the watermelon salad with a little bit of feta, which was really fresh and delicious and different than I would normally eat. Um, and then this beet salad that had a little bit of goat cheese that was delicious. And so, yeah, so we, we made some good choices. I mean, I ate a lot of protein and, um, and I didn't, I didn't snack on junk at night. You know, we'd get back, we'd have a big dinner and then we'd hang out and talk for a little bit. And I don't know, I just, I wasn't wanting to snack at night, which is, which kind of proved to me that when I do snack a lot at night, it's mainly boredom, <laughs> you know, it's not because I'm actually hungry. I just get bored and I want to eat something. So, so that was good. So those are kind of the healthy habits. I, I did work out a lot. Now getting back in, I brought a lot of the junk. I had brought chips and I had brought, you know, toffee, chocolate covered toffee. And so I ended up bringing a lot of that home. So getting back, I have not had the healthiest week because, you know, I, I don't know, just that a lot of that socializing, I just didn't feel like going grocery shopping. And anyway, and then the HelloFresh dinners this week were not great. Although one of them was really good. So I did get one that was lettuce wraps. And so I made that. I'm about to post that, the, that reel pretty soon. So it was like this shawarma ground turkey, uh, lettuce wrap dinner. So, so it was, it was definitely healthy. It was the shawarma seasoning with ground turkey, which was actually really delicious. And the recipe called for pickled onions. So it, it was really easy to pickle them. I just sliced the onions really thin and put a little bit of, um, lemon juice over it and just a half a teaspoon of sugar, some salt and pepper. And then I microwaved it for 30 minutes and just kept mixing it up. And I'd never made pickled onions before. I think there's different ways to do it, but it was so easy. I'll probably make them again. Um, 
And they had this like white sauce that I didn't use. I hate a white sauce, but it was like sour cream and and mayo and uh, lemon and salt and pepper. And I just made that and put it aside for Chad. But yeah, I just took the lettuce wraps. It was like these big romaine leaves and put some of the shawarma turkey. And then it came with with almonds, like sliced almonds, which was interesting. So I covered it with sliced almonds and then some of the pickled onions and it was delicious. I put put a little bit too much salt, but it was really good. It was good. It was, and it was healthy. So I felt good about that. But then I've also been eating all those toffee covered chips and chips like regular chips. So anyway, let's, that was my healthy habits of the week. Um, I am going into my birthday weekend where I'm treating myself to this bougie spa experience. Um, And so I'm going to be doing a lot of working out. So I'll be reporting on that on my next podcast. But that's going to, it's kind of like a slightly unhealthy week, but going into another probably really healthy week because I'll be doing so much working out. Um, And I did have a nice spa experience uh, in Sedona. I did did get back to back. uh, I get a massage and then I got reflexology right after. So that was really nice. So definitely a wellness weekend. This week has been, you know, not as, as, as healthy, but overall pretty good. So I hope all of you have had some really good healthy habits this week yourself. All right, now for my tasty treat section. So along with the, you know, all the working out that I've done this week, I've definitely eaten some indulgent food. So on my way up to Sedona, I, you know, I'd had just like some some raw pea pods that day and my superfood shake. And I just, I don't know, I wasn't that hungry before I left, but I knew, I knew we didn't have dinner reservations till like 7.30 or 8. And I was going to get there like around 3. So I'm like, I need to eat something now. And I don't want to be like hangry when I get there. And, and, you know, anyway, so I did stop at McDonald's on my way. Yes, McDonald's. And I didn't want to get the fries because the fries, I had just seen this, this, uh, this video of how toxic, the toxic chemicals that they use on those potatoes. So I'm like, okay, let's skip the French fries for now. Uh, and I ended up getting two hamburgers. Yes, two. I really, I could have been satisfied with one. But I I knew that I would want another one. So what I ended up compromising with was I I got two and I only get I get don't get a cheeseburger. I just get a regular hamburger and I only have pickles and onions on it. And then what I did was I picked off all the outer bread, like the bread that kind of hangs over that doesn't touch the burger. And so I was like, okay, I'll just reduce the amount of bread. And I just did still keep a good amount of bread because I do, I'm not one of those people that can just go to McDonald's and eat, you know, like Max Lugavier and eat like a bunch of just plain burgers and patties. Like, no, I need the bread. I need the pickle. I need the onion. But, uh, yeah, I, so, so I had that and again, and I just, I, I, it was, it was good. I hadn't, I haven't had a hamburger from McDonald's. And again, I think Max Lugavier, the fact that he went and ate one. I'm like, okay, I'm going to eat one too. Because I had heard back in the day that they found like hum- like feces or something in, in McDonald's burgers. And so I had stopped eating them forever. 
But I don't know. I think I was influenced in a positive way with Max. So I, I decided to skip the fries, have some protein because, you know, I'm all about the protein these days. And I'm like, okay, and this will hold me over. So had those two burgers and then I was just, I was fine until dinner. So it did exactly what I wanted it to do. And then I did have more red meat that night. I mean, we, so that was a very heavily red meat day. I had, we went to a steakhouse and I had a filet, which was, it was okay. It, it was cooked more medium rare than medium, which I wanted. I, I like more I look like slightly between medium and medium well, to be honest, but I'll order medium because I don't want it overcooked either. Anyway, this was slightly undercooked, but it was fine. Um, and it had a demi-glaze and it had some scalloped potatoes and some asparagus. So that was good. I, I only ate about half of it. Shared some wine with some of the other girls, some red wine. Uh, they had ordered, I think that was where we got the beet salad. So had a couple bites of that. They did have a really shitty, terrible um, artichoke and spinach dip. It was just, it was, the consistency was gross. And the tortilla chips that they served were stale. Like, hello, stale potato, like tortilla chips with this? Terrible. And then the calamari. I like a calamari with some sort of savory sauce next to it. And Ideally, not like a creamy sauce. A lot of times they'll serve that orange. It's kind of like a Thousand Island. It's got like, it's basically mayo with ketchup in it. I mean, let's be honest. But, um, and I hate that. I, I don't like a, a creamy based sauce. I like, I like a cocktail sauce and I like a red sauce, like a tomato sauce. But they didn't have that. They had the gross, creamy, orangey dipping stuff. And then they had some sort of like sweetness. You know how, how a lot of times with calamari, they'll put some sort of sweet, not a glaze, but some sort of sweet sauce or something over it. So I tried a bite, but I didn't really eat much of that. Um, so that dinner was okay. It, it definitely wasn't great. But, um, you know, I did I did eat a lot of red meat that day for sure. And then let's see. And then the next day we did go to that restaurant where after, after the hike where we almost died, um, we went to an Italian restaurant and I was debating what I wanted because my eyes were, I was like, I want the entire menu right now. I'm so hungry. And the girl next to me, Tiffany, she was getting, she was getting the gnocchi with shrimp, which I was also looking at. I'm like, do I want the gnocchi with a shrimp? Um, but I ended up splitting some pizza with the other girls and we got a margarita. I wanted some, some meat on it. I wanted some protein on it. So I got half a meatball again, more red meat. And so the meatball was delicious. I love sliced meatball on a pizza. So I got a margarita pizza with half meatball on it. It was really good. Usually a margarita pizza comes thin crust. This one did not. This one was definitely a thicker crust, which it was just very filling. So I only had two pieces of it where I thought I could eat a whole pie by myself. But if it's thin crust, I basically can. But if it's thick crust, you know, it's too much. So I had that, had a couple cocktails. The girl Whitney, I, it was interesting. I was noticing that she only ordered salads. So, and she really didn't eat much else. And so I was just curious if she was just one of those healthy eaters. And so on the way back, I'm like, Hey, I'm like, I notice you just always choose salad. And like, is that, do you just love salad or do you just like choosing healthy items? And cause she didn't drink, she didn't drink any alcohol. And 
she's like, yeah, she's like, you know, I just feel better when I, when I eat salad, I love salad. Like it's so crisp and fresh and I just feel better when I eat it. And I was like, Hey, good for you. I'm the type where it makes me sad to think of ordering a salad as a main course. And then also like the a salad has to be chopped to perfection. So I usually make a mess when I'm mixing salad. So I personally usually don't order salad as a main course, but more power to you. I'm always curious about people that will order that salad and whether that's something that like you're trying to be healthy or is that just how you order typically? And I think she's just like my friend, Melissa. She just, you know, that's just kind of in her pattern of what, what she does is just, you know, choosing healthier items, lighter items off the menu. So, and she was very, very like a thin in shape girl for sure. So I don't know. I just like to notice those things. And then let's see. And then the next night we went to this Mexican restaurant and it looked like a dive bar. I mean, it wasn't a nice place, but the food was excellent. They had this delicious elote, that corn with the, with the like cotilla cheese on it and the cilantro. Mm, So good. They had a good guac. I ended up getting these shrimp, um, shrimp tacos that were excellent. And I, and they really didn't have a big like drink menu. So I did drink a tequila drink, which I hate tequila. I decided to order that one because they had some prickly pear in it. And I was like, oh, the prickly pear might hide some of the tequila flavor. And so I ordered it and I just sipped, I just kind of nursed that one drink because I I just, I'm not a big tequila drinker. So, but the meal was delicious and, uh, very satisfying. And then we headed home after that. And then let's see, the third night was another steakhouse and I ended up getting, oh, so we ordered, I put this on my Instagram. We got these portobello mushroom fries. Oh, I did not expect them to be as good as they were. They were delicious and they were served with this like, I don't know what was in the sauce. I should have asked, but it was this, it almost looked like, it was, it almost looked like, um, beans, like brown beans had been, or mole had been mixed with some sort of creaminess, like maybe avocado or something. Cause it was a thick, but it was brown. So I don't know what was in it, but it was good. So that exceeded my expectations. And then we got this cornbread. There was something special about the cornbread. I'm trying to remember exactly what was in it that made it special, but it was delicious. It had butter melted all over the top, and mm, that was really, really good. And then we had ordered these pork egg rolls that were not great. I think because the pork had a real smoky barbecue flavor, which I don't know. I don't really like barbecue that much. I don't know why. Just, it's not, I I can eat it. I'll eat it. If it's there, I'll eat it. It's the only thing to eat, but it's not my favorite. I don't know. I just, I guess I don't like that smokiness. So, uh, so those were okay. And then I ordered a burger and fries, which very unoriginal, but the, but the brioche bun, and I think it was a bison burger. So I knew it was going to be really lean and the fries sounded good. And I ordered it and wow. That was third night of red meat. I ate a lot of red meat. Uh, actually, no, I did have shrimp the night before. So it was okay. The the If I could do it, like uh, a couple people next to me got the salmon, which looked really good. And I was kind of regretting that I didn't get the salmon until I tried their salmon. I didn't, I didn't really like their salmon. So I was, then I was glad I didn't get it. <laughs> so 
I don't know. I don't know what I, I can't remember anything else on the menu that I was actually I did want to try this corn chowder. Maybe I should have gotten the corn chowder for a main course and maybe some more of that cornbread to go aside it beside it. But then again, I always want protein. So anyway, but it was a really delicious meal. And, um, and again, I just, you know, I ended up coming back and, you know, wanting to eat healthy when I got back, but I just think that sometimes I just need to kind of emotionally eat a little bit when I come back from a trip like that. And so I was eating some of the processed chips that I had brought that nobody had eaten and a lot of the chocolate covered toffee. I just finished that last night and, you know, I've been heating my superfood smoothie and stuff like that. But if there's chips and chocolate in the house, guess what? I'm going to be snacking on it pretty much guaranteed at night. So those have been some tasty treats of the week. Um, I am keeping good balance because I am working out so much, even though I've also been eating a lot of indulgent things. And that's just going to continue because it's my birthday weekend and we have got an extravaganza of good food and good stuff coming this weekend. So I will report on that on my next podcast. But in the meantime, I hope all of you have had some delicious, tasty treats yourselves. All right, now let's get into my podcast review. So this week I'm doing a brand new podcast called Foodie Pharmacology with Dr. Cassandra Quave. And Dr. Cassandra is a pioneer in the field of medical ethnobotany, which is the study of human interactions with plants. And so she she is a scientist and she ended up, and now I had heard about this from my mom and I had looked at some of the topics and I don't know, this is the first time I've really wanted to do one of the topics that she had on. This was a great topic. So she had on guest Mandy Naglich, hopefully I'm saying that correctly, but um, Ma- Mandy is an advanced Cicerone and, and she won this national homebrew competition Uh, she's a a drink educator. She's a writer. She wrote uh, this book recently, How to Taste, A Guide to Discovering Flavor and Savoring Life. Uh, So this is, this, this podcast is all about tasting and flavor, which, you know, I love celebrating food and, and, and I thought this was a really interesting conversation. So, uh, so she came on to share some great tips on how to, how and why we can improve our senses of taste and smell and, and how to explore the world through our senses and also how this is connected to our health. So, so she's at drinks with Mandy on Instagram and Dr. Cassandra started out the interview asking, you know, how she got excited about taste and flavor as a subject matter. And Mandy just talked about how she had started out homebrewing beer and she had become obsessed with going out, tasting different beers, and then coming home and recreating that exact flavor that she had just tasted. And Cassandra was asked, you know, how hard is it to start homebrewing? You know, it sounds like you have to be very aware of the science to even begin with. Now, side note, my boyfriend and his friends would probably love this because they are obsessed with beer. And actually, my next door neighbor did try to homebrew some beer and was talking about how incredibly difficult it is. He was saying how he completely messed up. He had bought like a brewing kit and he had done something wrong in the first batch he had made and had totally messed it up because it is very much a science. So getting back to the podcast, Mandy said, 
Yes, fermentation science is the center of home brewing when you're doing it from home. She's like, you have this huge vat of grains and things that you're boiling down, but then the flavor really takes place in the refrigerator when you're fermenting it. So harnessing my yeast and understanding which flavors they expressed was a big part of winning those competitions that I won. And Cassandra said, well, we've talked to a lot of, you know, to a lot of other people who are experimenting with different types of fermentation, like lactic acid fermentation. She's like, it's really quite fascinating. Uh, She said, we've also talked to many other professional brewers. She's like, but I think you're the first home brewer, the first person that's really perfected home brewing. She's like, so tell us more about the yeast you use and, you know, are they from the environment or are they commercial types and how do you get those special flavors going? And so Mandy said, it's very different from wine where you're using the yeast that's on the skin of the grapes. She's like, with beer, you're very much selecting the type of yeast and pitching it into your mass, uh, into your mash, you know, things like. German ale yeast, which expressed a lot of banana and clove flavors. And she's like, an American ale has very clean flavor with maybe a tiny bit of green apple. And she's like, and and Americans are, are very big on adding a lot of hops and malts and getting in touch with those different yeast expressions and studying the actual compounds from fermentation made me realize that some yeast in German ale that makes its its makes it delicious, has the same compounds that are expressed in different cheeses. So some of that nuttiness and buttery flavor, you know, you see these across across these different different food groups. And she said some some things that, you know, like rum that are rum barrel aged, you know, rum barrel aged beers. She's like it's very similar to things that are barrel aged with whiskey. She said, so all of this tasting knowledge that I have with my specialty is very transferable across many different types of taste profiles. And so Cassandra, Dr. Cassandra then said, and that's a good tie into your, into your book because it's really about we, how we go about tasting. So tell us a little bit more about your book and what made you decide to write it. And so Mandy was like, yeah, it started with... Uh, my good friend Olivia in the cheese space. So she's a certified cheese professional and she's done all of the sensory tastes. So she has really a top-notch palate. And she thought it was really cool that I'm a Cicerone and she's like, I could never do that. She's like, I was, uh, she's like, I was like, she's like, I think you actually could. She said, because once we train our skills this way, there's, you know, there's no crossover book about, you know, how beer and cheese kind of go together or how rum and chocolate cross over each other. So I really wanted to write something about that. You know, how do we get in touch with our senses? How do you start breaking down flavor, both in your vocabulary that you can speak out loud and in your sensory memory? And so, Cassandra said, you know, do you have any simple tips around mealtime? You know, let's imagine that we're sitting down to a meal. What are some tips that people can do to appreciate some of the flavors and sensory experiences on their plate? And so Mandy said, yeah, a simple thing you can do is just like comparisons. So for example, golden raisins. If you take a second to taste both the golden raisin and the purple raisin, 
And you can sit there and really analyze, you know, what are some of the differences that I'm tasting between the golden raisin and the purple? And what is it adding to my salad? Then take a second to make a neural connection in your brain. So the next time you eat that purple or yellow raisin, that sensory experience that you took time to really analyze is at the tip of your fingers, is at the tip of your fingertips. And is at the tip of your fingers. And and that's a way to expand your brain very quickly. Uh, the olfactory bulb in your brain uh, that, that when people study that part of your brain when they're drinking wine, for example, they see it begin to expand in a matter of six weeks. So that area of our brain is very, very malleable because it's connecting all of these sensory inputs. So you want to keep that part of your brain healthy and, and building memory. And so Cassandra was like, I love it. Brain building through flavor and taste. And, and Mandy's like, yeah, sometimes I'm forced to taste two different chocolates. It's very hard work for sure. And Cassandra said, I see a lot of parallels between the type of tasting you're doing with how I compare things like forest walking and forest bathing. So for example, when you're just walking through the forest, you're not really paying attention. But with forest bathing, you're intentionally listening and observing as you walk. So it's about the activity that you're doing and using intention around it to, to really pay attention to all the details and fully experience something. You know, all the sounds, all the smells, just really being in that moment and being very intentional about paying attention to all these little details. And, and Mandy said, yeah, and speaking of forests, you know, a forest has a very specific smell to them. You know, and there's a section in the book where I talk about, you know, I, I've, I've always spent a lot of time in Vermont, but in the, in the book, I talk about how I went on a trip to Oregon and I did some cheese tasting. And as I was driving through Oregon, I would open my windows and I noticed the forest smells so differently than Vermont. But I notice it because I notice because of how I experience things. And and most people might not necessarily notice the differences in forest smells. You know, the difference in 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 one forest from another, you know, the different plants and trees that grow, you know, overall it just makes your life richer and more interesting. You know, maybe this this forest doesn't smell like birch trees, maybe it smells like different types of trees. And and so Cassandra said, you know, another topic that you get into in the book is how our senses are also connected to our health. So how did all that come together? Now, side note from the podcast, when Cassandra said, Dr. Cassandra said that about how these like smells and, and things can be tied to our health, I thought my first thing that popped into my brain was flavonoids because flavonoids in plants are very therapeutic. There's all kinds of health benefits to flavonoids and the flavonoids are found in cannabis. That's one of the reasons I know so much about them, but they're also found in a lot of fruits and vegetables and there, there are therapeutic effects from the, those compounds. But what, but Mandy got into something altogether different, which I thought was really interesting so getting back to the review, Mandy said, actually, one of the parts that wasn't in my original book proposal, but 
The more I talked to taste and smell researchers, the more I realized how important it was to them. They say that one of the earliest signs of dementia is you actually start to lose your sense of smell because our olfactory receptors are so closely tied to that memory part of our brain. But we really don't have a test to determine if our smell is becoming less intense, where we can catch it really early and try to take action at that point when it's so early. So I wanted to just point out, you know, that people should stay very vigilant. You know, if if you're living with people that are older and they start having issues tasting and smelling anything, it's just something to be aware of that that can be tied to dementia. Uh, you know, the stronger those areas are to begin with, if you really work on smelling and tasting and building that olfactory, you know, part of your brain, you know, the the, the stronger those areas are to begin with, the, the the better you are. You know, a lot of people don't understand the importance of that specific part of our brain. And Dr. Cassandra said, you know, yeah, the science of taste and smell is really interesting because of the amount of complex neural networks involved, you know, both through the oral cavity and the nose. And I think there will be more research done on this because of, you know, during the COVID pandemic, when people temporarily lost a sense of smell and taste due to the virus. You know, there's so many things tied to dementia, like oral health and general hygiene. It is a complex disease, but the practice of these sensory things can bring more awareness. Um, you know, and one thing about flavor and taste that's always stuck with me is is the connection to memory. You know, we have all of these comfort foods and 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 what are the things that actually bring comfort from comfort foods? You know, for me, it's memory of childhood or happy times with friends or family. You know, what did you learn when you were working on the book about memory and connections to smells and flavors? And so Mandy said that can that can also happen with a song. She's like where it can trigger memories. You know, you remember sitting in a car with your friends because of a certain song. You know, that's that's more time and space memories. With scent and taste, it's more about emotional memories. You know, and sometimes you can't even put your finger on that exact moment. You know, why does having this cinnamon tea make you feel warm and happy? And it might be just that those specific flavors are tied to many happy memories that you've had. So so it's tied to more of an emotional memory than always being a very specific place and time. But there are also those very strong sensory memories that are called Prussian memories or Prussian memories. Suddenly you take a bite of something and suddenly you're seven again. You know, and you remember your mom holding, you know, handing you a candy and you're like, oh my God, I haven't tasted this in 17 years. And it's like an instant time, time travel type of memory. And, and that's actually really more an effect of smell than anything, because it is tied to those olfactory receptors. And there is a fast track right into our memory. The nose is very close to the olfactory bulb. Uh, so although taste buds, so the, although taste buds, the message goes f- from your palate to your ear, then to the brain. So it's a much slower pathway than sense, which go right into the brain. It's it's interesting, you know. I think about things. What what triggers my memory, and I don't know why this specific thing, but 
There are, like, when I drink Tang, have you guys ever had Tang? It's this gritty, like, orange drink that, that I don't know, it, it existed back in the day when I was young. And I can't remember the last, the last time I had it, it totally brought me back to this neighbor that I used to visit. Every single time we would go to her house, she'd like, you want some Tang? And she'd bring out the Tang and she'd put some in a cup and it would always be warm. Like, she'd always put, like, just sink water in it and she'd stir it up and it'd be kind of gritty and warm but it had such a distinct flavor that the last time I tasted it it brought me right back to that place like right standing right at her counter with her little candy jar and it was so clear and vivid in my brain it's it's it is funny how that works um so then Dr. Cassandra getting back to the podcast Dr. Cassandra said when you taste something a few things are happening their smell, your flavor, but then you have something called mouthfeel. What can you tell us about mouthfeel and how does that tie into this process? So Mandy said, yeah, I think, I think it's so funny because a lot of people really hate that word mouthfeel. Some people are like, it's the same thing as texture, but what's amazing is our teeth can actually sense grit as small as a size of a grain of sand. So if you're eating a pudding, and it has grit that size, you're not going to see it. It's it's really your mouth that can feel it. So that's what mouthfeel is. It's feeling in, it's the feeling in your mouth, whether it's the bubbles of carbonation, the grit or crunchiness of something that your your mouth feels. And it's, it's a whole nother sensation or sensor uh, on our tongue. But we really don't think of it because we, we just think more about taste buds uh, because we have, you know, we have touch receptors on our tongue that are feeling the heat of spice, which is actually causing pain. Um, and then we get, you know, the cooling sensation of menthol, which is another touch sensation. And then there's the grittiness or warmth of food. You know, those are all different receptors. So there's really no tasting in a vacuum. All of your senses are tying into what we're eating and drinking. And just going back, again, side note to that comment she made on COVID-19 when people lost their taste and smell. When I, when that happened to me, I it was like the fear. I was so fearful that I wouldn't get it back because, I mean, that would have taken all the joy out of my life or most of the joy out of my life because, you know, not being able to taste and eat and deliciousness. Oh, how horrible. Okay, getting back to the podcast. So Dr. Cassandra said it's also interesting how mouthfeel can lead to a bliss point, which is a term used in industrial food production. And this is why we can't just have one potato chip because they've optimized the magical combination of crunch and salt. And, you know, there's nothing worse than a stale chip because then you don't have that same mouthfeel or blissful sensation. And Mandy said, yeah, that they've actually developed that from fresh food, you know, because when you bite into a fresh carrot, it will snap because its cell walls are so puffed up with water. But if you bite into a carrot and it's, you know, mushy and squishy and rubbery, it's a similar effect of eh, no thank you. And food engineers really learn to do this for packaged and processed foods as well. Uh, to make us want to eat a million potato chips. And so, and Dr. Sandra said, our interpretation of the senses can also lead to signals of disgust. For example, slimy foods. I was recently in Japan 
And there were some things I had a really hard time eating, like nado, nado, nado. It's anyway, like nado. I really, she's like, I really wanted to, but it is like this fermented kind of soybean that looks like white snot hanging out of these little beans. And it's, it feels like snot and I know it's healthy for me and I'm trying to create this mantra in my head that, you know, eat this, it's healthy, but I, I just, I couldn't do it. And, and Mandy said, that is the number one thing that's the hardest to overcome. Should, if anything's ever made you sick, it's a biological response for us to say, oh, that oyster made me sick and you most likely won't be able to eat an oyster again. You know, if that reminds you specifically of something like being sick, it is really hard to get over. Uh, but I have talked to a researcher and one of the best times to get over it is if you're on vacation, you know, give it a try. If you're completely out of your normal sensory environment and you try to reintroduce something, you might, you might have a chance to do it that way. You know, you can, you can, it's hard to win over biology, but that, that is a hack that might work. Um, and that's again, why, and I've talked about it many times on this podcast as a side note, I can't eat ham steak. I can't drink tequila. It's all these, you know, and the, the technical term is conditioned taste aversion. I learned that back in the day because I was always fascinated by, wow, I, I still have the sense memory in my brain of getting sick on that ham steak and oof, I can't eat it right now. Um, so I just, I think all that is fascinating. So Dr. Cassandra said, what are some of the other things, you know, while you're researching this book that maybe you learned that really surprised you? And Mandy said, I was really surprised by how all of the elements around us really affect not only what we're tasting, but our memory of what we're tasting. You know, like I mentioned earlier, our taste signals travel through our inner ear and uh, and knowing that now, of course, all the music and sound around us affect what we taste. So even if you're in a chic, amazing wine bar, it might not be the best place to order a rare, nuanced wine because all of the sound is putting pressure on those taste signals. And it's blunting them a little bit. You know, if you're tasting a really expensive wine, you want to be quiet maybe a little classical music in the background. You know, in general, any other senses that are bombarding you from the outside are going to affect what you're tasting in the moment and how you remember it. And Dr. Cassandra said, so it's not just about setting the mood. It really does affect the flavor and the way you interpret those flavors. That's really fascinating. And, and Mandy said, that's the reason, like, you know, if you've ever had a really amazing bottle of wine in Tuscany or you're on vacation and you come back and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe that this restaurant has this bottle. We have to get it. And then you're just a little bit disappointed because it's not quite how you remember it. One of the researchers that I talked to had a really good point. He said he, he, when he goes as to amazing wineries, he brings home a bottle of one of the ones that he's never tasted. That way, when you come home, it's still a new experience. You're tying it back to that sensory memory, but then there's nothing to compare it to so that you're disappointed. So now when I'm doing my souvenir shopping, you know, I was just in Bermuda and I ended up bringing home a bottle of rum I had never tasted and I just opened it here instead. 
that's a great tip. I might do that when I'm in Tuscany in a few weeks. Oh. And so Dr. Cassandra said, uh, that was just a little piece of the New York Times. Oh, she said there was just a piece uh, in the New York Times about a winemaker in Oregon. And she has a condition called synesthesia. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Uh, syn- synesthesis. Synesthesia. So, and I looked it up. It's it's a cross-sensory perception and it's an involuntary physical experience where the stimulation of one sensory modality triggers a perception in one or more other senses. Uh, basically, you know, you see sounds or smells, colors or taste shapes or feels, you know, or sounds on the skin. Um, so, for example, like s- certain, you know, touching certain things, feeling certain things, tasting certain things can bring about the perception of color. Um, So that's what that condition is. And so she uses that condition to blend her different grapes. And so she, she creates these incredible wines. And she said, I just hadn't thought about it for winemaking. And it's, it's basically a form of artwork. It's like paint, it's like painting and you're pulling together these different masterpieces through interpretation. Uh, And it's, it's promising to me that we can all, we can all have this influence through sound when it comes to flavor. So that's interesting. She didn't really say what kind of, of physical perception the woman was choosing. I'm guessing it was, um, you know, either the feel of the grapes or the color of the grapes or the, um, you know, she's using some other sense to, to mix and blend her grapes. So that's really interesting. Mandy then talked about how she had talked to a chocolate judge and she said this judge runs an amazing program called Taste with Color because sometimes it's so hard to tie a word to what you're tasting. And she just has you imagine what color comes to mind when you're tasting something. So she has people draw out or paint with watercolors what they're experiencing. And she said she did one where she showed this chocolate bar after everyone was done painting. And everyone's paintings resembled the label. It had all the colors that were in the label. And, you know, she's like, she's like, I had to talk to this company. And they were like, yeah, we try to have the colors of our label reflect what people are tasting. And she was like, I was, I was like, you're doing a great job. And so I can see how this winemaker is doing that. And so uh, Dr. Cassandra said, let's get back to this other certification you have of being a Cicerone. So how did you achieve that level of certification with beer tasting? And, and what was that process like? And Mandy said, it's a lot of blind tasting. It's 113 styles of beer. And you have to be able to taste in a, in a, and call out blind. So I also have my certification for spirits and cider professionals. But what I realize a Cicerone has to be really good at is tasting various compounds. Because they do, what they do is they do an off-flavor panel where they spike beers with different compounds. And we need to be able to taste them and decide what went wrong in the brewing process. So something like diacetyl, which is this really strong buttery flavor. 
or DMS, which is, is this cooked corn flavor. So if you taste DMS in a sample, they probably didn't boil it rapidly enough or they didn't let their fermentation boil off appropriately. And now there's all kinds of sulfur in the beer. And I think that really set me up to get obsessed with this tasting thing because now, you know, when I taste sulfur compounds in anything, you know, even sour cream and onion chips, you know, I can totally tell what kind of compound they used to give it this onion flavor. So it's really based on those different minute sensory experiences and differences um, and, and really knowing, you know, needing to know the entire brewing process and what can go right and what can go wrong. And that's where really home brewing helps, you know, me become very knowledgeable about that. And so Dr. Cassandra said, it sounds similar to something we use in the lab called high performance liquid chromatography, which is all about the detection of small molecules you're like a walking HPLC. She's like, it's pretty amazing to be able to detect all these molecules. It's, it's, it's really incredible. And Mandy's like, yeah, and humans are actually much cheaper. She said, when I was getting certified as a taster, I worked with this company who does quality panels. And really, you could only afford to use that type of science only so often. But you can afford to have a panel of seven people, you know, once a week come in and taste things. And in some ways, you know, it can be better than machine learning because sometimes a small molecule could come through. But whether a human can actually detect that lower level, you kind of need a person to determine that. It's really it's often hard to know what that threshold is. You know, a machine can tell you the numbers, but a person can tell you what they actually sense. And, and Dr. Cassandra's like, that is incredible. You know, I have another specific beer question, and this is something I experienced a few years ago in Belgium. I was on a chocolate and beer tasting tour in Brussels. So I was introduced to this, to the Trappist beers. And our guide said, this is the best beer in the world. And this is the most special beer. And I was like, well, everyone probably says that, you know, everywhere you go. But I'm wondering, is that really a special beer? I'm just asking for myself. I'm not even sure if anyone in the audience has even tasted this beer, but I am curious. And so she's, I'm, she said, I'm assuming it was a Westler Terran 12. West, Westhill Terran. She said this name. I ended up having to, I spelled it out phonetically and then looked it up. And I did find the actual spelled out name. So it's hard to pronounce, but Westhill Terran 12. Anyway, Dr. Sandra said, it, she said, I think it, I think it was that one. And Mandy said, well, it certainly is a very rare beer. And so I'm sure it was a very special experience that you had. Uh, that was actually, that brand was voted one of the best in the world. And the monks only make so much. So it is a rare and special experience. Uh, because the monks only make just what they need to sustain their monasteries. You know, they're not ma looking to make a profit. So it absolutely could be considered one of the best in the world. And that's a special thing about being in Belgium, because the monks are there making their beer. And that happens in very few parts of the world. And and Dr. Cassandra said, that's awesome. I, I got to taste that beer. You know, so if I go get go back, I get to have an and and I get to have another sample of this Trappist beer. Can you teach me how to appreciate it even more so I don't look like such a novice? I mean, what do I do with my mouth to really capture all these flavors? 
And so Mandy said, yeah, in chapter four of my book, is it's the longest chapter, and it's dedicated to the method of how I taste. And I developed it working with not only beer tasters, but olive oil tasters, and honey tasters, and cheese tasters, and everybody put their input in. So there's this the seven S's. So C is the first one. And what's really special about beer is it's one of the only you know, beverages that can really hold its natural head because of the protein structure. So with a good poured beer, I always say, you know, take a few seconds to just look at it and see it and admire it. And if you're tasting on the streets of Brussels, the sound around you, taking it all in, you know, and then the smell, what are the streets of Brussels smell like? You know, that could be affecting what you're tasting. And then you get into the sniffing And I take seven or eight different sniffs, and I won't go through all of them now, but it's really just introducing the aroma of the beer to you really slowly so that you can take it, take it in, how it changes, you know, and, and, and what are, what noses are really are difference detectors and your nose wants to get used to your surroundings, uh, to your surrounding smell very quickly so they can smell if any threat is coming. So your olfactory bulb can sense any potential threats in the area. So if you just dive your nose right into the beer, you could, you, you'll you be blind to it very quickly. Um, but that's the point of a nose. <laughs> and so Cassandra said, well, I know with, with wine, I swirl it. You know, I stick my nose in the glass. And I don't even know if I'm doing that correctly either. I mean, is there a similar technique for beer? I mean, I know you probably don't want to stick your nose in the foam, but... And, and Mandy's like, yeah, wine and beer are really are, you know, the exact same technique as far as tasting method is relevant to many things, including cheese and oysters. Uh, it's just really about slowly introducing the scent. Uh, you know, the first step is a long sniff and you're pretty far away. You know, sometimes when you, when something's brought to the table, you know, you can, you can smell it right away just because, you know, maybe there's a little bit of cocoa powder from the chocolate or something that you're smelling. And so, and then there's all these steps to slowly introduce short sniffs, long sniffs and everything in between, you know, and then there's one that most people haven't heard of, but a lot of tasting professionals know about, and that's the retronasal sniff, which is basically using the back of your nose to smell, and anything coming in your nose through the front is an orthonasal, but you also have all these receptors in the back of your throat and nose, which are your retronasal receptors, and that teaches you to, you know, kind of hold your breath and take a sip and swallow in a way that pushes the aroma to the back of your nose, and it's very eye-opening. You know, a lot of people are are pretty shocked when they try it, you know, and then there's, you know, three different sip tastes. There's mouthfeel, there's match taste, and then there's the aftertaste, then there's swirling, but you really don't want to swirl too much beer as wine because then that'll get rid of all the carbonation. But you could do a swirl right before you're about to finish it. Then the sit and synthesize step that takes uh, two seconds along your tour, you know, saying instead of just saying, oh, this is special, you know, what did everyone taste and why am I going to remember? What am I going to remember about this? And that's really giving your brain the chance to cement this memory and connect what you're verbally saying 
to that sensory experience you just had. Like, oh, the deep syrupy figs and oh, that caramel flavor and and the carbonation really came together and make it a wonderful match for this chocolate. So you can you can take a second to appreciate, you know, what the monks just gave you. And and there's there's a lot of steps, but there you have it. <laughs> and Cassandra said, Dr. Cassandra said, I can do that. You know, it sounds, you know, like it's all about smelling deeply. And I'm a little nervous about the smelling from the back, but, you know, overall, it sounds like it's synthesizing the sensations that you're experiencing um, and asking your and asking yourself that I really taste fig or, or you're just putting mindfulness around it. And Mandy said, and in relation to memories, you know, some someone might say this reminded me of, you know, the last time I landed in the Belgian airport or, you know, when you get to learn something about someone there with you, you know, it's not just about the tasting. It's also about, you know, savoring life and using these little moments to make your life a little richer. And, and Cassandra said, and just a side note, I love that. You know, that's what I think about life and about experiencing food and experiencing flavor. And, you know, when I go to Europe wanting to, you know, experience all of these, you know, the culture through the food. So that's what I'm excited about. And so Dr. Cassandra said, well, I think the pairing, uh, playing to that as well, you know, going back to chocolate and beer pairings, you know, how do you folks select the things that are best to pair together? You know, even at restaurants, you have, you know, oh, this wine should be paired with this fish or the this wine should be paired with this steak. You know, how do pairings go about that? Like, what's the rationale behind that? And Mandy said there are four basic food interactions that you're looking at in pairings. You're looking at the cut interaction, the contrast interaction, the complements, and then create, which is the most mysterious. So basically, if you have a fatty, heavy dish, you want something that's going to cut through it, something that's either brighter or very tannic to make it a little lighter. Contrast, same thing. You know, if you have some things that are all vanilla flavors, you know, do you want to, you want to have something that maybe has some fruit in it to create that contrast, you know, maybe something not so barrel heavy or vanilla forward. Compliments is the obvious one. You know, if you have a delicious berry tart, if you want to get a really jammy wine to go with that and make it an extravaganza, that, that, that's that interaction. And then the last one creates is really for the chef or the, the sommelier, and they're helping you pair because they're trying to bring two things together to create something else. So a really good example that we use in beer is, you know, a really delicious sharp cheddar cheese and a really malt heavy or forward German lager. You know, when you eat them together, maybe it reminds you of a grilled cheese and you get that flavor of, you know, really toasty bread, that melted cheese, and it's coming together and creating something new. So maybe they're trying to recreate a memory or they're telling you about a place or things that grow together or go together like Belgian chocolate and Belgian beer. And Dr. Cassandra said, you know, some of my favorite memories are tied to food. Uh, one of the prominent pairings that I remember was when I was on this trip to Scotland and I'm a big fan of whiskeys and we went to a famous distillery and it's located on this beautiful bay 
And just up the hill from the distillery was an oyster shack. And I would get oysters from this bay and get a little bottle from the distillery. And we would just sit there eating oysters and shooting whiskey out of the oyster shells. And it was the most amazing experience. Uh, You know, there's this beautiful view. And, you know, if I ever try to recreate that somewhere else, you know, you just don't have all of those elements coming together that way. And Mandy said, you know, that is something that's really cool about oysters. You know, oysters don't have blood. So they use the water around them for their circulatory system. So they're absorbing the flavor of that water their entire lives. Um, And so, you know, that oyster, you know, that you did have will never taste like another oyster because it's, it's special and specific to that bay. And so Dr. Cassandra then, she's like, I had a lot of experience tasting a lot of different foods and drinks. Or she she said, you've had a lot of experience tasting a lot of different foods and drinks. She said, what are some of the more exotic things you've tried that are not available mainstream or maybe just aren't that as common in America? I love this question. And so Mandy said, well, I used to be a very picky eater when I was young. But one of the things that really opened my eyes was I worked at a restaurant and you had to know what everything tasted like because you could describe it. And it was a game restaurant. So they had things like rattlesnake nachos. And, you know, I was a little afraid at first, but they were delicious. You know, the texture was kind of like an overcooked shrimp. It kind of bounced back, but it also tasted like chicken. Uh, I also had kangaroo, you know, when I was in Australia, we grilled it, and it was one of the most delicious things we had. I also really love sushi and omakase, and I wrote about it in the book. I've I've eaten a lot of it. I'm, I'm very lucky because I live in New York. And we went to this place one time, and we asked the chef if he had anything that I've never tried before, and he ended up giving us crab brain. And I wouldn't say I'd eat it again, but I'll never forget the taste of it. It kind of tasted like crunched up walnut shells with a little bit of greenness to it. It was a very interesting texture. And Dr. Cassandra asked, you know, was it raw or cooked? And Mandy said it was raw. It was almost like a paste or a mousse. You know, they really whipped it up. And it was served over rice, so you did get that texture as well. And Dr. Cassandra said, I had some raw shrimp when I was in Japan, and I was terrified because I thought I was going to get sick, but I was fine. I was proud of myself. I was like, I did it. And Mandy said, those are the good kind of of snot to eat, right? They're sweet. They're a little bit sweet. And, And Dr. Cassandra said, well, you know, I think it's great that you've transformed from a picky eater into someone who's so adventurous and you're basically a flavor explorer. And, and Mandy said, yeah, I, I, once you realize that something's not going to kill you, you know, it's just a few seconds of trying something new and, you know, whether you like it or not, it's interesting to try a new experience and you just know a little bit more about the world. And, and Mandy said, well, I, I do have to ask you, you know, as we wrap up, she said, you know, do you have any recommendations? Uh, sometimes I ask guests for recipes, but maybe I should ask you about a pairing that you would recommend. You know, someone, should someone try a certain beer or a certain cheese? Um, you know, what should we play around with now that we have a little bit more knowledge? 
And Mandy said, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm really into some new things and, and I'm excited about these lightly sparkling sakes. They're a little more expensive, but, you know, think about it in terms of buying a wine. You know, the bouquet on them is so floral and fruity and really different. Um, you don't have to, it's, it's very different than the grape of a wine. Um, but yeah, that is definitely something new that I've discovered that I would recommend experimenting with. Um, I'm also experimenting with some Amaros, which are different uh, spirits that are very bitter and combining those with, with um, you know, like uh, an unflavored sparkling water like LaCroix. And and so they, they talked about that a little bit more. I was hoping for something a little like more food wise, but this this girl Mandy is is, you know, she's very much a. a a beverage taster but you know she combines cheese and I just thought it was really interesting the science of the compounds and you know the specific molecules that give something a specific flavor it's it's just fascinating to think of it that way um, and really analyze where flavor and our senses and how all of our senses really play a part so this you know this this episode I I like because it's you know, different. It's not a triggering episode, hopefully, for anyone. You know, it's really about celebrating flavor and learning new ways to experience foods and 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 flavors and utilizing all of our senses and, you know, being very intentional. Um, I'm definitely going to try to incorporate some of these techniques when I go to Europe so I can seal those memories into into the flavors that I taste and um, anyway, I hope you I hope you all enjoyed this. This was definitely different from my typical shows, but I enjoyed it. I hope all of you did. I wanted to do something a little bit different for my subscribers. And uh, yeah, hopefully you enjoyed it. I know this one went a little long. Uh, I'll probably have a shorter one coming up next week. So I'm going to be crazy busy here pretty soon. But um, getting ready for my trip and getting all the final things done for our uh, our license in Massachusetts. So. Anyway, lots of good things to come. Please follow me on social media. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at the Diet Obsessed Podcast. Please leave a rating and review for this. That's just some stars or a comment wherever you listen to your podcasts. It literally means the world to us. It helps us move up on the rankings. Um, and thank you all for being my lovely subscribers. I appreciate all of you. If you have any ideas uh, for episodes, feel free to DM me. Um, if you want to check out my website, it is uh, thedietobsessed.com. And until we meet again, I hope all of you have a very balanced day.